You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. For football people who like football, here come two words for you. Purple Live. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, more football here on Purple Live. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin and Manny Hill is producing. At 6.30, we will be joined by pro football-focused data scientist and analyst Eric Eager, and we're going to talk about uh, the Vikings and what the numbers say about them. Are they now trending up after getting a couple of straight wins against Philadelphia and Arizona? And that is our question to you. If you want to jump on here with Purple Live, 651-646-8255, We've had great calls the last couple of weeks, so if you want to jump in and give us your confidence in the Vikings after winning these last two games. And the way I look at it, they have two games to take care of business against inferior teams, and then we've got a game-of-the-year type of game coming up on national TV against the New Orleans Saints. But as of right now, after getting these wins, after going to Philadelphia, after beating Arizona the way that they should have, has your confidence level reached a point where you can believe in them and trust them to take care of what they need to do in New York when they go to face the Jets? Or do you still have reasons to be nervous because uh, it's the Cardinals that they beat on Sunday and the beginning of the season, the loss to the Bills, the Los Angeles loss is still lingering in the back of your mind. What do you think on that? I mean, I, I take a look at the sample size. I love I love that term. I'm going to use that as much as I can. They It was the 31st worst. I keep screwing this up. 31st just overall rushing. Second worst. Second worst, 31st ranked rushing defense. If you didn't put a hump up 195 yards against that, I'd be really, really concerned. I mean, the window was there to assert the run game. You don't have Dalvin Cook, but you have Latavius Murray. You know your personnel. You know that this should be the opportunity. Okay, if we can't get the run game going elsewhere, let's at least do it against a very inferior opponent defensively in that area. So I think, of course, it's like, You did what you had to do. You did what you were supposed to do. If you didn't, then I'd be a lot more concerned. But I'm also not, you know, there were points in this game where they're up 13 to 10 in the second in the second quarter. I mean, they made all those mistakes and they were still up by by three points, which is very good. And I think that that's something you take confidence in knowing that they can overcome some of the the blunders that we saw, you know, on back to back plays by Kirk Cousins getting sacked and then the, the strip sack and the interception that was just, you know, I don't I just I still don't understand the interception, but I am thinking that things are trending back to the way that we expected them to after the stretch of the first five weeks. I mean, they're exactly at the point that I th- I thought they would be. I thought they would be two and three coming out of the Philadelphia game, not necessarily the losses that they had in there. I did not think they would lose to the bills, but they're at a point now where I think, okay, you're in the in the midst of the second quarter. You have a very tough opponent next week at home, Sunday night football against the Saints. 
you cannot overlook this Jets game because they just put up 42 points in a shootout with the Colts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Sam Darnold has shown a big playability in, in multiple games, has also shown his rookiness a few times in games. This is, of course, one that we feel like the Minnesota Vikings should win. But as far as your confidence level goes, uh, trending is the right way to put it because they won a big game in Philly and then with what happened on Sunday, but they still haven't had any of those wins where you didn't feel anxious at some points during the game. I mean, in San Francisco, Kirk Cousins nearly throws a pick six toward the end of the game and struggles, and Jimmy Garoppolo's got the ball down by one score because you couldn't finish the job. And then in Green Bay, yes, it was the kicker's fault, but they also left the door open for Aaron Rodgers to drive down and give his kicker a chance to win the game, and Mason Crosby didn't get it done. And then you get the two losses back-to-back, And even against Philadelphia, the door is left open for the Eagles to come back in that game and have the ball with a chance to go take the lead. And against Arizona, the first half of the game, it's 10 to 10 at one point, 13 to 10 at the end of the first half because of a number of mistakes. There were times last season where we saw this team play really spectacular games start to finish where they looked like a Super Bowl contender. The Rams game is what I'm thinking of first. We have not yet seen that. The one thing that reminded me of 2017 more than anything else of what, with this defense was that goal line stand. That is, is a situation that Case Keenan put them in several times last year where there's an untimely turnover and then they're backed up inside their own territory and four straight plays. I mean, some of the play calling I think was a little suspect. Uh, when you, I had someone try to argue with me that them throwing on third down was basically setting them up for, oh, well, you basically you've got another second down. I was like, what? Yeah, it what? was very confusing. Um, that kind of, that obviously played to their favor, but you have four straight stops. And that's that really sparked what this defense did for the rest of the game. And that's what reminded me, okay, that's your glimmer of hope that this defense still has it, that it really hasn't gone anywhere despite a lot of the ups and downs that they've experienced in 2018, that they still have the fundamentals of what makes them good. And that's coming through when something something bad happens on offense. All right, let's start us off with Danny here on Purple Live. What's up, Danny? Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking the call. Hey caller, um, I email you a lot and uh, you're very responsive, so I really appreciate that. Uh, just wanted to say a quick thing about the kind of newfound uh, a running game that the Vikings found. Um, I think you know there's a lot of discussion in the early weeks about what really should that balance be and are they passing too much. Um, and when you kind of hear like Dee Flippo talk in press conferences, he he basically has kind of said like, hey, if it's not if it's not there, we aren't just going to run for the sake of running. Um, and there, there seemed to be kind of this this push to kind of get a balance and like a better ratio of kind of run run to pass. And and really, what it is is what what I think is what what you talk a lot about is kind of this idea of like situational football. And if the, the you know the goal should be you should be able to run when you want to run. And so if you want to set up play action, if you want to eat the clock a little bit, and your offense enables that, that's great. But to kind of shoot for an arbitrary kind of a balance of, of kind of running and passing shouldn't be the goal. It should be able to uh, be able to establish that you know that you know the running game a little bit so that when it when it comes time, uh, you know you, your offense can turn you know you know turn that on. I guess. Yeah, no, I I agree with what you're saying, Danny. Is that you should never feel like oh we have to establish the run like that's kind of talk from 1982, right? Uh, but 
in order to have some success at the end of games to close them out, I think, we saw how effective it can be when you could get an explosive play at the end. And that's the other thing, too, is that if you could get 20-plus yard runs every once in a while, it really breaks the back of a team or scores a touchdown from the red zone where maybe you'd have to work a little harder for that otherwise. And in this game against a really bad run defense, they plowed right over them. Pat Elfline was great. David Morgan played a role in that. Now my question, though, is, and when we're talking about the confidence level of where this team is going, is that going to continue, or was that just kind of, it's the Cardinals, they're really bad at run defense, and so you plowed over them, but is it going to happen week in and week out? I think the one thing you take away from the offensive line, because we know the run game starts with your offensive line. There was a reason that running backs were getting hit uh, you know, they were only they were getting hit for, you know, huge losses on these negative runs in Los Angeles because the offensive line was just really struggling in protections. Mm-hmm. You saw more max protections against the Cardinals than I think you than I think we have the entire season, which really boils down to, you know, they need to do what they need to do to get the run started. And yes, to, to Danny's point. You don't need to like just have an arbitrary number of we want to run this many times a game. We want to when Dalvin Cook comes back, we want to get him involved in this many situations when you could just as effectively when he's healthy, use him as a slot receiver and, you know, switch up the looks that you're giving in the passing game, you know, get that short screen game going get to the second level with your offensive line, which they showed they could do, which I think that for me was one of the bigger takeaways Um, going forward. It's going to be a matter of what does this offensive line combination look like? Because I think the biggest takeaway we see with this unit from week six was how well Brian O'Neill played at right tackle as a run blocker, really just overall body of work, but specifically as a run blocker. And what happens when Riley Reef comes back, however long that may be, where do you put Rashad Hilby's? I think this was the best combination they had all year. I agree with that. Let's talk about that. A little bit in a second here. Danny, thanks for the call. If you want to jump on, Purple Live 651-646-8255. Confidence level on going to New York after you've seen the Minnesota Vikings take care of business with the Arizona Cardinals. It wasn't the perfect win. They didn't win 40-9, to but they also did not uh, let the Cardinals stick around in that game. Came right out in the second half, put up a couple of touchdowns, and that was pretty much it, and they were able to run the clock out. Now, With Brian O'Neill at right tackle, the question I guess would be, how is he going to match up in two weeks against New Orleans? Because New Orleans has Cameron Jordan. He's one of the most violent players there is. And even though Rashad Hill is actually good at putting down the anchor, which we talk about all the time with O'Neill, and does he have enough strength, and can he stop the bull rush? He was getting whomped on that bull rush last year by Cameron Jordan. And this might be the reason the Vikings decide to stick with Hill for the next two weeks and then see where this goes if Reef comes back at left tackle, as opposed to putting O'Neal out in a situation where he's against one of the top five players in the NFL who could just demolish his confidence and ruin your game plan for that night. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm also looking ahead to November 18th, more so than Cameron Jordan. I'm looking at Khalil Mack and, and figuring out whether it's Rashad Hill, whether it's Brian O'Neill, or something that I think you and I talked about. What What's the thought that maybe Riley Reef, if they think that they really, they did like Rashad Hill at left tackle to a much higher degree than he's played at right tackle so far. Um, what's the thought that maybe they put Riley Reef out there? 
against some of these better, you know, defensive ends. If right you, tackling. To right tackle. Oh, I mean, interesting. That could open up, I don't know, maybe that's just me, you know, hypothesizing out loud right now, but would you rule that out as a possibility given some of the elite pass rushers that they do have and where they line up and that that right tackle spot, as we know, is kind of becoming this revolving door. It's what we expected it to be when Mike Remmers not moving out out back to right tackle just seemed like a possibility, did not seem like a possibility anymore after what Mike Zimmer said that he likes the combination as it is and he expects it to stay that way. Could you see them at least trying to mitigate that type of pass rush that they're going to face two weeks from now and then, I guess, four weeks from now. I would be really surprised if Riley Reef came back at right tackle. That would stun me. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to just say, hey, Rashad Hill, like, thanks for your service, but we're going to turn the ball over now to Brian O'Neill because he's just more talented. And you talked about some of the things that he did in the run game. There was one play, uh, Latavius Murray's 34-yard run, where he got out to the defensive back and drove the guy off the screen. When I was watching it back on tape, he just took the defensive back and ran him literally out of where the camera could see because he had dominated that block so much. And that's the type of stuff that he can do. So when you talk about him going up against certain pass rushers, well, maybe he's going to get bull rushed from time to time, but the things that he does well are worth having out there. With Reef, I think Reef overall, like we still focus on the Buffalo game and how he just got smoked all day, and of course he did. He's, he's hurt. He's playing hurt. But aside from that, I think he's been pretty good throughout yeah. the rest of the year. He's been a solid NFL left tackle. So when he comes back, then I think he goes back to that position. I guess the, the question is, no, I mean, how long is he going to be out? And we haven't really gotten any sort of indication, but uh, I mean, this could be problematic if you have to go week to week because Chandler Jones almost ruined things for the Vikings on Sunday. Yeah, and I mean, that's a foot injury for a very large human being. And, and for offensive linemen, I mean, isn't the, you know, a lot of times with left tackles, with the tackle position, you see these guys get these foot injuries like Liz Frank, um, the Liz Frank fracture, I believe. I mean, this one that Donald Penn had that I think of uh, that, you know, pretty much put his career kind of on hold and kind of set him back a lot. I mean, we don't know the extent of what Riley Reef has right now, but Mike Zimmer said he didn't anticipate it being something that's going to keep him out a while. We'll see what happens when they get back to practice tomorrow. But this is going to be a long-term thing. They're already down, a, you know, a lot with their depth structure. We know with Avian Collins going down, I mean, even before that with Nick Easton. And now they're down to... Having, you know, Brian O'Neill as another depth piece and then Danny as Adora, what do you do at that point if you're gonna be without Riley Reef for quite a long period of time, whether it's two weeks, that's that's two weeks too long. And I, I think that they should leave him out this week if he's not back to 100%, because bringing him back too early, just like with Delvin Cook, cost them another game of Riley Reef. So we'll continue the conversation on the offensive line, Brian O'Neill. We both went back and watched the game and were impressed by him. I want to get to Mike Hughes, though, out for the year. And something that keeps popping up on Twitter is revisiting the draft. And so we'll talk about that. Mike Hughes, the draft, and sort of our ever-evolving 2020 hindsight of it. Plus, you can give us a call, 651-646-8255. Let us know if this team has proven anything to you to the point where you feel... A game against the Jets is just going to be taken care of by this team from what they've done the last two weeks. Purple Live, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on 1500 ESPN. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar.
All right, we're back. Purple Live football. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Feel free to pop on. Give us your take. 651-646-8255 here on the show. We're always welcoming Vikings opinions. Uh, So Mike Hughes out for the year, ACL injury. And the first thing that comes across my Twitter after Mike Zimmer confirmed that he had a torn ACL and won't be back till next year is, well, it looks like Will Hernandez's ACLs are just fine. <laughs> and oh, man. so the, the 2020, let's just clear this up. The 2020 hindsight on the NFL draft for the Minnesota Vikings is this, that they made draft picks of good players, Mike Hughes and Brian O'Neill. But they did not in that draft get a starting guard when one was available, and they have desperately needed help on the offensive line. It's shown almost every single week, aside from Arizona, and still Kirk Cousins got strip sacked in that game. That's the argument. The argument is only that Will Hernandez, a very talented and good guard prospect, was available and could have helped this year in a win-now type of situation. It was never about whether Hughes was talented or not. It was never about whether Brian O'Neill was a good pick. I think we all thought Brian O'Neill was a good pick as far as his long-term ceiling, and maybe he's a little ahead of schedule right now. But when we talk about that draft, it seems that there's some kind of misconception when it comes to what the opinion really was that night on draft night. And if we're going to analyze what we said about it and how it's turned out, we kind of have to know where we're starting from. And where we're starting from is Hughes is good, it was good to have defensive depth, especially cornerback, where you always need it. But Will Hernandez is the highest-rated guard in the NFL for rookies right now, and guard has been an issue on both sides for the Vikings. Austin Corbett, Will Hernandez, James Daniels. I mean, the list goes on and on of other offensive linemen that went after that That started the continuing trend in day two Um that of offensive linemen the Vikings could have taken. Here's the thing to clear it up. When Mike Zimmer said after week one that, you know, everybody's complaining about that corner that they took, no one was complaining about Mike Hughes. It right. was the the order in which you you put these priorities where you prioritize cornerback depth over starting offensive starting caliber offensive linemen. That's the part that receives the most criticism and rightfully so because you take a look at the state of your offensive line and we're talking right now hey is a guy who was viewed as a project developmental type player is he ready to start playing in nfc north games that's a problem at this point for a team that has super bowl aspirations it still believes it can be a championship caliber team the season it's still very early so i mean that to me is the argument. I mean, Mike Hughes is a very good player, will continue to be a very good player beyond the ACL. I mean, I think the fact that Mike Zimmer gave this much praise to a young rookie corner, which did not happen with Xavier Roach, which did not happen with Trey Waynes, shows that this is a different caliber cat. Like, this is, you know, this is somebody who is going to potentially be one of your, you know, your next elite corners once, you know, he comes back and and depending upon what happens with Trey Waynes, you know, 2019 and beyond, you have a very good pick in the basket. And yeah, you you always need more. His his analogy of just one more is very true, but you also need a franchise right guard and you don't have one. And with O'Neal, it's possible that he could be so far ahead of schedule that he ends up at right tackle and plays really well, but 
he's defying the odds of what it appeared to be on draft night. So when we were talking about it then, it did not seem as if he was going to make any impact on this team at all, and he already has in a, in a positive way, especially over the last two weeks. So that's kind of defied the odds even there because he's made progress very quickly, but that's not what was expected, and the fact that he was not a starter over Rashad Hill, a backup guy who they had gotten off someone else's practice squad, the fact that he didn't beat him out for the job showed you how far behind he was and how long it was going to take for him to be ready that was the conversation and i mean there's nothing we could really do about it now i mean it's not like you could just say okay go back will hernandez you're the guard now (laughs) and now let's see how it plays out like we'll just do a thousand simulations and see if they win the super bowl with will hernandez i know i know it doesn't work out that way but as far as when we're trying to do the revisionist thing, did they actually make the right decision then because they've been very defensive about it or did they not make the right decision? We need to factor in what the thinking was on that night, which was that Mike Hughes was going to help. And in all honesty, he might be a great player too, but he wasn't helping that much. I mean, you look at the numbers when other teams were attacking Mike Hughes and they put up dominant numbers. It was something like 21 for 28. So he really didn't even help right away as far as the secondary depth. I mean, you needed another body there, though, because once once Mackenzie Alexander had that ankle injury in preseason, it opened the door for Hughes to start competing at nickel. Clearly, he wasn't ready to take that over full time just because of the fact that Alexander's out there and he had to play on you know an interim basis because of the injury. But then Terrence Newman retires and it created this domino effect for a numbers perspective of how many defensive backs they have, especially at corner. It served that purpose because I think having Hughes out there right now is better than having Holton Hill, who's just oh, not I totally ready. Agree. Totally so I mean, agree. if you're looking at it from that perspective, I think it's a good thing. But you know, it's he's still going through. He was still going through the bumps and bruises of learning how to play outside corner and inside corner. There was the problem was he wasn't developing at one specific spot because they just had to keep moving him around so much out of necessity. Let's get to uh, Bill here on Purple Live. What's going on, Bill? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I I have a very general question, and I'm a casual Vikings fan, but they won last Sunday, and and people got very excited, including you all, and that's fine. And they may win again next Sunday because they're playing the Giants. And, And I think you see my point coming is that we get really excited when the Vikings beat poor teams. And I'm more along the line of thinking, so what? You beat a poor team. That doesn't mean you're a good team, it seems to me, when you beat poor teams compared to if you beat uh, strong teams. And and I just keep thinking back to the uh, Buffalo game. And I I don't understand this team, and I I don't understand why we get so excited when they beat poor teams and we think we've got a really good team because we beat poor teams. Can you just kind of respond to that? Let me know what the error is in my thinking. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bill. Bill, that was a great question, because I think that that's what we, in the body of work of what happened in Arizona and some of the other wins that they've had that have come really close, you still say, hey, a win's a win. It's the NFL. It's tough to get wins. You have, you know, 16 games. You you better win most of them. Otherwise, you're not going to be in the playoffs. Um I look at it kind of situationally, like, what did they do to get this win that we haven't seen in other other games? They took advantage of a small window that they had. Hey, our run game's not very good right now. Our offensive line is also not very good right now. But it seems like we might be able to get something generated on the ground. And they go out and they put up almost 200 yards rushing. 
that to me was a, if you don't do that, there's a problem. So I try to look at games in in just like really the general scope at first. Okay, you know, where's the record? Where do things stand? How does this set them up for the next week? But also pulling back the curtain on okay. They gave up few. Really, they gave up fewer big plays. There was a forty-yard reception. There was a thirty-five-yard reception and a twenty-six-yard reception. That's been the problem: giving up these big chunk yardage plays, and that's something that they're starting to cut down on. I don't know if that's going to translate against an actually a good defense, but you you do what you need to do against teams that that are inferior to you. That's how I think you can chalk up success. Right. I mean, I think in any NFL market, when you win, there's only 16 of these, everyone's going to look at them as they're all big, that you needed that win. And if you got upset, then it would have been a disaster for your season. So there's reason to be happy about how that game went if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan because it's a pretty uh, ends up being a pretty decided win where you're up by 17 points late in the game and you're taking care of business against a bad team and that's what they needed to do to show that they could just take care of a bad team after the Buffalo game to eliminate some of that bad taste in your mouth and also it matters that it was coming off of the Philadelphia win. That is an impressive win. That's a team that just smoked the Giants a couple of nights later that won the Super Bowl last year, that has a great young quarterback, a very smart head coach. So when you put those two in context back-to-back with the Philadelphia win and then a take-care-of-business win, then I think it looks a lot better for this team as if the ship is starting to be righted. Now, I mean, that's our question. Is it is it really? Yeah. And like you said, when you're analyzing it, maybe there's still some cracks there in the foundation. But what you needed to see is a team look more like a contender that has a bad team come in and you just beat them. That's what you needed to see from the Vikings. And that's what you saw. And I think that's why everyone was so excited. But we are going to get a more objective view on the Vikings when we come back from Eric Eager, a numbers-based view. He's from Pro Football Focus. We will talk to him next about how good this team is, how they compare to the rest of the NFC North when we come back on Purple Live. Purple, purple, and more purple. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Purple, purple, and more purple. You heard it. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And joining us from Pro Football Focus is Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Let me start off here. How good are the Minnesota Vikings right now? Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> Boom! Go football! <laughs> they are a they are a prohibitive front runner to win their division. I think that they are squarely, however, outside of a top four group. That's probably New Orleans, uh, L.A. Rams, Kansas City, and New England. Okay. That's fair. That was, a, that was a good way to uh, combat Matthew's very blunt question to start open the conversation. <laughs> I wanted to jump back on one thing. with We had a caller um, who just called in to talk about kind of the confidence meter that you have coming out of an Arizona game where, yes, that's a win that they should have that they should have had. We'd be really concerned if that game was any closer than it was. But going back to the week before, that win in Philadelphia, it's 23-21. Yes, they survive the late scare that they kind of – that was kind of at their own hand from whatever defensive philosophy. I know that they probably went into prevent to let the Eagles come down and score, but then you don't get that onside kick, let's just say, and it could be a potentially different game. Does that concern you that 
the way that that the flow of that game and how close it was that yes it was a good win i think i want to say there but it's also a little too close close for comfort i think that that's a completely fair i also think the way that the eagles have played uh, aside from how they played last thursday you know that win does not look quite as good as it would say you know week 1 you know the eagles were coming off a super bowl win uh, it's weird because when I think about the Vikings and my level of confidence in them, I, I always ask myself if, the, if it came in a different order. So if they beat Buffalo in a way that they beat you know Arizona this last week and then they lose a close game to Philadelphia, their record is the same. But do we think differently about them than we do now? Because right now what we see is they're capable of playing toe-to-toe with Green Bay in Green Bay, although that doesn't look as good anymore after last night. And and Philadelphia in Philadelphia, Los Angeles in Los Angeles. But then, I think the Arizona game was a lot closer than people realize. And then, of course, they get you know drilled by Buffalo at home. So, I don't know. I would say you know if you put it all together, it's really kind of meh. You know, I think three two and one's about as good as you could have asked for. But it still doesn't instill a ton of confidence uh, with me. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus joining us here on Purple Live. If you want to jump on, 651-646-8255 is the phone number. Uh, Eric, with Kirk Cousins' turnover issues, specifically with the fumbles, uh, I would have maybe thought that it was a small sample thing if you had just told me that he had some fumbling issues in his first year, or maybe even his first two years. We are now going on four years of Kirk Cousins getting strip-sacked at a higher rate than everyone else. Is this a thing that you think can be corrected, and how much does it hurt the Vikings' chances to be a legitimate contender as we go down the stretch? I mean, that's a really good question because I think with Cousins, I, I, you know, you and I, we've all kind of had our, our doubts at times. And, and what I think has happened is his really goods have been really good and his really bads have been really bad. And, and I've kind of come to this real, I, I think I've come to this idea that there's just some of the bad that you have to take with Kirk. And what's really interesting is you look at his data and he doesn't have a lot of like negatively graded plays this year weirdly, compared to the rest of the guys in the NFL. The funny thing, though, is his negatively graded plays are more often turnover-worthy than some of the other guys as a percentage. So when he makes a mistake, he's getting strip-sacked by Chandler Jones, or he's fumbled, you know, and he's, he's making that, like, Case Keenum against New Orleans-type level interception to Trey Boston, you know. And I think that that's when you ask, you know, are the Vikings going to be, you know, where are they? Right, I think he's got to eliminate those, and my my concern is that's kind of always who he's been, and that's kind of what you're going to have to take with him. And when you get in the playoffs or you get in a game with you know some of these elite teams, you kind of have to pray that he doesn't. You know, it's one of those games where he just eliminates those mistakes. It's week seven. I think it's too early for any sort of proclamations. You know, teams that have gone through early season struggles to say, "Hey, such and such is back." This unit is what we expected it to be. Just went through some early season ups and downs. As that pertains to the Vikings' defense, where do you think they're at right now? I mean, you come off two pretty impressive wins from the defensive perspective. I think, you know, the thing that stands out to me is that goal line stand really reminded me of multiple situations that they faced last season in 2017. The 0 for 10 on third down, um, you know, going back to when they held Atlanta to 1 for 10 last year, that really reminded me of that. 
where's your confidence in that defense that it's start? It, you really think it's starting to trend back to where it was? I mean, outside of you know the issues that we saw with miscommunication and, and lack of pass rush and you know giving up the big plays from weeks one through four. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good question because as you said, it you know it's six games and and the the issue that we've always had, I think when talking about trying to project the Vikings into this year is that defense is just something that's not particularly sticky. You know, uh, you know, you go for look at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a very similarly yoked team as the Vikings defensively. And they just gave up 40 to Dallas and they've not looked quite as good. And it doesn't take a lot to go from first as the Vikings and Jags were to like 10th. And that, you know, the differential there is not trivial. The sort of thinking about this last week, it was very similar to a year ago, but I think, you know, in in many ways different than just looking at the Vikings. They're playing a Cardinals team who whose offense is just a mass unit, I think, in terms of like offensive line and, you know, what they have left around their second quarterback who happens to be a rookie. So and the Vikings, you know, caught a lot of teams on that type of uh trajectory last year, whether it be like Baltimore, you know, with Flacco on a down year, Dalton on a down year, uh, you know, Trubisky as a rookie uh, against them in two games. So I think that they're handling business better than obviously they did against Buffalo, but you know, they're still giving up like, you know, 59% of early down passes are successful against them, which means, you know, the other team is getting ahead of the sticks more often than they were a season ago. And so I think that their pass defense probably has to improve. The run defense has been pretty good. And uh, that's great. Sheldon Richardson has been awesome, but I need to see a few more games starting this week against the Jets before I'm going to say, you know, their defense is back in that top six, top five range. That's such a good point that you bring up with like the early passing downs, really the early downs, but a lot of those big, big passing plays took place on first and second down. You know, the third down blitz package, as sparingly as it was used this past week, was really effective. That's something Harrison Smith brought up about them getting better on, you know, eliminating those big plays that they're allowing on first and second down. I mean, we make so much of third down because it is such a game changer, but I'm with you. I think the early, you know, what we're seeing on early downs is still kind of glaring uh, when you take a look at this entire defense. Yeah, luckily this week, the Jets as far as an AFC team is concerned, are one of the least efficient teams throwing the ball in first down. And while they've been explosive running the ball, on a per-play kind of success basis, they haven't been running the ball on early downs either as well. But, uh, you know, third down gets a lot, and red zone gets a lot of discussion. But the statistics are pretty unstable because, again, a lot of things in football are very high leverage, but very, I would say, random or, or low sample um, the best third down defense or the best third down offense is to avoid third down altogether. And so, you know, I, if, if you're a defense and you've got a team in third and long, it's because it's more because you got that, you know, you, you uh, were really good defensively on the first two downs. And if you're not, then the third down defense is sort of irrelevant. So, Eric, you mentioned uh, the, your first answer that the Vikings project out to be the potential NFC North winner. I look at it as gobbledygook uh, this so far. I mean, there's just the, like, how am I supposed to figure out? Like, Aaron Rodgers was unbelievable last night, but it was also the San Francisco 49ers, and Detroit only has two wins, but they beat Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, yeah. as one does. And then Brock Osweiler defeats the Chicago Bears, even though uh, they tried to fumble it away. Miami did. Uh, what do we make of these other teams so far? Right, so when we were talking about projecting the NFC North preseason, I think we told people, you know, you know, slow, slow your roll on, the, you know, the Packers and the, and the Vikings because Chicago's going to be improved. Detroit's 
probably going to be improved with a new coach. And the NFC is extremely tough, right? So, like, and, and I don't think, you know, you look at Green Bay's game last night, it's, the Niners are a down team in the NFC, and even they compete in Lambeau Field uh, on any given Sunday or Monday. Detroit, similarly, with New England, and then Green Bay again. I think we're, we're exactly where we started. I think Minnesota is, you know, projected out to nine or so wins. And, you know, it's not that 13 wins that, you know, you and Courtney got a ton of flack for not projecting onto the Vikings this year. But it's, I think you're, they're still firmly a playoff team. Um, the, the, the thing with Green Bay is that they have a really tough schedule coming up. A lot of the teams that the Vikings uh, had played, you know, like Los Angeles, those types of teams, now Green Bay gets, right? So that, you know, the turnabout's fair play there, I think, for the Packers. And Chicago's actually got a pretty easy schedule, all things told. And so that's why, you know, we actually have Chicago finishing a little bit ahead of Green Bay, uh, even though, you know, they lost to them week one, just because of schedule differential. And then, you know, Green Bay is behind in that game last night, not because of Rodgers, but because the rest of their team is still, I think, uh, to be nice and proving. Eric, last thing for you. Give me a quick answer because we're up against the break. But uh, as someone like yourself who grew up watching Christian Okoye slam into bodies running the football over and over again, do you like where we are with the NFL with all the crazy passing and offense, or does it make it, from your perspective, just too easy for quarterbacks to be great? Well, I like the fact that the NFL is popular and and, uh, all the discussion about how the you know, the league is, is losing viewers was kind of a lot of hogwash that was, you know, confounding with guys like Jacoby Brissett having to play for Luck and, and so on and so forth, uh, Hundley having to play for Rodgers. When all the quarterbacks are healthy, this is a very compelling league where a lot of things, where anything can happen on any given game. And from that perspective, I'm, you know, I'm very happy with what's going on. It does, there is a little bit to all these games being like 43-40. That's a little weird, but uh, I don't know. I think it's a net positive for the league, and I think you know when you get to watch you know Adam Th- Adam Thielen and you know Stephon Diggs and the last night with Devontae Adams and Marquise Goodwin, you know like just being able to watch a really good receiver play and having quarterbacks that can deliver there, I think is a plus for the league. All right, Eric. Well, thank you very much for your time. And if you are a regular listener to the Purple Podcast, then you hear Eric on a regular basis. So we will talk to you again soon, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me. Make sure you follow Eric Eager on Twitter and on uh, Pro Football Focus YouTube. He's got a podcast that he does. Is he on Instagram? Do we know that? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Eric is very savvy with the social media. Very. Very much. Uh, Most geniuses are. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here. And then Manny has a couple of questions for us about the upcoming week for the Minnesota Vikings. Purple Live with Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. In a sea of purple... This is One Deep Dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Our last segment here of Purple Live and Manny Hill has put together three questions for the week about the Minnesota Vikings. What have you got, Manny? Uh, All three questions are related to the uh, New York Jets matchup coming up this Sunday. And the first one is... Pretty simple. What are the challenges that the New York Jets present to the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday, if any at all? Well, I think that Sam Darnold is a big-time throw monster, and he also turns the ball over, and he also shows his rookiness from time to time. But when I was looking at some of the things he did against Indianapolis, there are money throws, there are big plays. Robbie Anderson is a legit 
wide receiver. I mean, he's a star, I think, that nobody knows about. And if those two can hook up on big plays, that will be a challenge for a Vikings defense that hasn't shown that it can go a whole game without allowing some. Even Courtney against Arizona, they allowed some big plays. Yeah, I agree with you. Sorry, my mic wasn't on. Uh, my thing is, I think their defensive front's pretty pretty good. I mean, Leonard Williams is having a monster season so far this year. There's, um, you know, this this is a really good defensive front that can you know put some pressure on the quarterback, and that's something that Kirk Cousins. You look back at like the Eagles game and how well he performed under those circumstances against a very similarly good, um, you know, probably even better defensive front. But I think. You know, just just with the way the offensive line performed, they're coming out confident from this game, from the Arizona game going into this. I don't know how how much that will last, just given that they're going against a much better unit, but it should be pretty good. Manny, for in between these questions for the future, we need some sort of like football sound. (laughs) (laughs) Football. Football. What do you 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 say? Football. Question number two. Football. Uh, In regards to putting pressure on the quarterback, will we see Anthony Barr become even more of a pass rusher? Uh, That's silly. Why would you even ask me that, Manny? (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Well, what is your take, Courtney? Will we see more after it was successful against Arizona? In third down, in in certain blitz packages, yes. I think that that's probably the best place to use him. And now that you don't have Mike Hughes, um, I think they're going to have to get kind of creative what they do on the back end and the secondary that you really can't have Barr leave the field all that much. Um, I think he's better, honestly, as a pass rusher than I do as, you know, dropping as a run stopping linebacker. So, you know, maybe that carries over. I, I do think we will see more of it, just how much, I'm not sure. I liked what they did when there were multiple tight ends on the field and Eric Wilson came in as a linebacker and they decided to rush Anthony Barr. I like how Mike Zimmer has really messed around with the personnel this year. Last year, we didn't see any personnel changes. It was the same guys the whole game almost. And every once in a while, Ben Gideon would come in. That was like the only difference. Or Mackenzie Alexander, every once in a while, would come in for Terrence Newman. Now we're seeing lots of different shifting and changing with this defense. And that, I think, is the adjustment. And maybe as we go along, the especially on third down, we will see more and more and more of Anthony Barr rushing to where it could be on almost every third down. That's a possibility. But as far as like rushing all the time on first downs, I, or even as a defensive end, I just no, don't think I we're going to see it. I don't think we so. saw it in camp, but I don't think we're going to see it. Uh, on to, to your point on the secondary with Mike Hughes now being out for the year, and you guys have kind of talked about it already, but now how much pressure now is on Mackenzie Alexander to even be just be reliable? I mean, forget about making huge plays, but just be reliable and don't get this defense killed. He's got to do what he did against Arizona. I mean, that was the best game of his career. The big stop on fourth and 10, and then even before that with, you know, just a, a clean lane to Josh Rosen for the sack. I mean, that came obviously via the third down blitz package. They had a lot of exotic looks in that, you know. But once Hughes went down, um, I don't. I think the play was a little bit shaky from Alexander. So that kind of concerned me. He's, you know... His third year, everything's riding on him now to show, okay, he's made the jump. He can be reliable. He cannot be someone who's out there and you're having a question, hey, is is there going to be another big fourth and ten? I'm thinking back to Drew Brees now mm-hmm. uh, in, the, uh, in the divisional game. Is there going to be something like that that sets up, you know, a game-changing play? And I'm certain in two weeks Drew will remember. 
what happened. Drew doesn't forget. Drew does not forget who he attacked. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them, New Orleans, go up against Mackenzie Alexander a lot because they had success attacking him in that divisional playoff game. And how much pressure is on him? All of it. Because the rest of these players on the defense are proven to be great. So even if they have their moments, Harrison Smith is great. Xavier Rhodes is great. Even uh, Eric Hendricks is better than the first few weeks, and he started to get better uh, over the last two weeks. We know those guys are good. We know Neil Hunter is good. But there is just such a glaring weakness that everyone's going to attack that if he is not better than he has been, then they're still going to get shredded there because that's going to end up being the weak link, and it's not a great thing if you have your nickel corner as a weak link in the NFL today. Well, the only good thing, just real quick, because I know we're up here against the clock, um, we, they got all three safety, all re- three reserve safeties in on Sunday. They got a chance to see in certain sub packages what they like with Anthony Harris, and then obviously J. Ron Curse and the big nickel. I think that that's a good redeeming part of the whole Mike Hughes thing that you can utilize more safety looks, three safety looks, multiple safeties on the field instead of having to always go with Mackenzie Alexander and your nickel. Um, may, you know, I think that they can recover from the Mike Hughes loss, and you know, granted, he was still kind of coming into this that. They've got the depth elsewhere that they should be okay. And it does not seem like they're going to sign or trade for anybody. I think they're just going to roll with it because yeah. they signed David Perry back, a defensive tackle. Now, does that hint to you anything about Everson Griffin, though? Because it, it, it hints to me that Jalen Holmes is going to be moving out more as a defensive end because they have no defensive end depth right now considering Tashawn Bauer still dealing with the ankle injury. Um the Everson Griffin thing, I mean, that's still an indefinite absence as far as we know. Manny, thank you for the great questions. Thank you, thank you all for the phone calls and to Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. We will do this every Tuesday, 6 to 7, following the football hour, Purple Live. And if you missed any of it, 